Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from June 12th by Micah Ellington, titled Psalm 23. All right, Uh, to help you reflect on a place where you have probably been, most of us have had one of these situations where we just needed a word of encouragement. We needed someone to pick us up and help us out and encourage us in just a verbal form and say, hey, you got this. You can can handle this. It's going to be okay. You needed someone to just uh, come beside you, give you a pat on the back and let you know that it's going to be all right. I know I uh, can go back, all the way back to high school, and remember uh, my final game of my senior year of playing baseball, and baseball is my favorite sport ever, go Braves, right, Uh, national champions. Uh, I'm I'm a Georgia boy, by the way, so I've had a great year in sports. So uh, anyways, beside that note... uh, I remember playing that last game and losing my last game and just the uh, pain of understanding and knowing that this was it for high school. Uh, I got the opportunity to be able to play in college, but I remember my other teammates surrounding me and encouraging me with that and saying, hey, I know this, was, this is not the end for you. Even though this was hard to, to lose this one game, this is not the end. And then I remember moving up here just after I got married uh, eight years ago uh, to my wife. Uh, We came up here in May, uh, and a couple of months later, I found out that my grandma had passed away. And we were just a young married uh, couple. We only brought two suitcases back up from Georgia to, to start our life here in Alaska. And I couldn't afford a plane ticket to go down. But she comforted me through that time when I lost my grandma, and I had no opportunity to be able to join in that service or really have a, have a way to, to kind of go through that mourning process. But with her, she helped me through that, that situation. Uh, so there's a lot of things even in our own lives that we need a word of encouragement for. We need somebody to help us to come along. Maybe you have people that you go to that, that encourages you, that helps you, that comforts you. Maybe you have Uh, a song or a favorite verse that you go to that just gives you that strength in that difficult time of saying, you know what, I can push through this. Uh, And, you know, I love how God works because he's always working in our lives. You know, you hear a song on the radio or you hear a song when you come into church or the pastor happens to be preaching on something that you totally needed and how the Lord just uses that to speak into your life to encourage you to be Uh, on a path that's going to continue to trust and rely on him. And as when I think about this, we're going to go to a familiar passage of scripture that many of us have probably memorized, uh, whether it was in Sunday school or Awanas or other things in our life where we were taught this passage of scripture and we memorize this. And it's something that we often use to encourage other people or comfort other people. And that's Psalms chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there uh, to Psalms chapter 23. We're going to look at that here in just one second. But my love for this passage has grown over the past, I would say, the past six months. Uh, For 
a time now I have been uh, really involved or enthused with leadership and uh, learning leadership qualities and applying those uh, in my life to be a better uh, pastor uh, at the church that I'm at in youth ministry and helping teach and other uh, parts of ministry that I do with men's ministry and other things around the church. Because I want to better myself so that God can use me in the way that he's called me to be used. But through this path of, of learning to be more like a leader, I ran to, into a book called The Way of the Shepherd. And this book had seven leadership tips that came based off of a sheep farmer and took an interesting uh, look into what it is to raise sheep. And I had no clue. And then I found out through the birth of my uh, youngest child uh, in October, the lady that was helping uh, with the birth there was a Christian, and she shared with me another book to read by Tim Keller. Uh, and man, this book was just amazing. It's a shepherd's look at Psalms 23, and it's a commentary uh, on that book but comes from the eyes of a shepherd. So I got two books that really helped me understand Psalms 23 in a new light that has just challenged the way that I see this passage and how that I live it out now. And I want to share that with you today. Uh, let's read this passage here. Psalms chapter 23, verses 1 uh, through 6. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what an amazing passage. What a beautiful set of scripture. But we're going to break this down phrase by phrase, and I want to kind of give you an idea of what it means and, and what this scripture is talking about and bring in some of those ideas that I read about, about being a shepherd. So first of all, the Lord is my shepherd. See, a shepherd signifies that we are the Lord's sheep. And if we are his sheep, then we're his special object of affection. That God loves you so much that he's going to shepherd over you. A shepherd loves his sheep. He's going to do everything he can to take care of his sheep, as we'll see through this passage. And the Lord is described as our shepherd. So we are his special object of affection. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 talks about how we are a masterpiece. That God has created us in a way that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has designed each and every one of you. And, and I want you to understand this, that God does not make junk. Each and every one of you are a masterpiece, divinely created by him. Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16 says, For it was 
Uh, you who created my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably or fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me, and I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Man, God had a special plan for you before you were even born. God still has a plan for your life today. He wants to use you. You're his special object of affection. Isaiah 53, 6. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. See, God loved you so much that he cared about being your shepherd so much that he was willing to give his life for you. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Yet he gave his life for us. See, a shepherd does something specific when he owns his sheep. He marks them on the ear. And we have that distinctive earmark as well. The cross is our earmark. It is his blood that is our earmark. We are marked forever that God has claimed us. If we have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, then he marks us as one of his own children. But then it says, I shall not want. Let's just open with the understanding that this is not a promise of health, wealth, and prosperity. Okay, that the Bible doesn't say, well, just because that you shall not want doesn't mean that you're going to have everything that you ever desire, that you're going to have millions in the bank account, that you're going to have the nicest house on the street, that you're going to drive the fanciest cars and have the nicest boat and the nicest four-wheelers and all the other cool things that you can have in Alaska, right? No, that's not what the scripture is talking about. He's saying, I shall not want. What this means is that we are in the proper care and management of the Father and that he has the best interest in mind for our life. But I want to take that a step further. It's the idea of being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care. And because of that, We're not craving or desiring anything else. We only desire what he wants for us. Only what God would provide for us. And I love what it says in Philippians chapter 4. It says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul was talking about this position that he's lived his whole life where he is now content no matter what's taking place. He's been provided for. He's been in a position where he's in need, but yet he still is content. 
And we must live in that same situation. It doesn't mean that we're going to go in life and that we're not going to have need. You look at John the Baptist who prepared the way of the Lord and he, was in, and he would be one guy that we would consider that he was in need. He ate uh, wild locusts and honey. Uh, you know, he wore camel skin as clothing. That's pretty much all that he had, yet he was doing the will of the Father. So it doesn't mean that you're not going to have uh, positions in life where you're in need, but you understand that the Father, the shepherd, is going to provide for you. And that just because he is your shepherd, we should be content in that. But yet the carnal Christian often says that the grass is greener on the other side. Man, it looks a lot sweeter to have all these things and all the different uh, toys and all the different uh, possessions that we can have. But what does it say in Galatians 2.20? It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But yet too often it's the temptation that is thrown to us. If one thing, if the enemy knows that we're already a believer of Christ, one thing he loves to do is distract the children of God. And he'll distract them with possessions. He'll distract them with things that they think they really need or want. And yet the Lord has so much more for us. The grass is not always greener on the other side. But then it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This talks about the ability to be able to relax. Man, I need some of that. Right now, we are working to try to get our house on the market. Uh, we're trying to get things sold. Uh, we had a yard sale this past weekend. I still have projects on the inside of the house that I get to get figured out. We got pictures take, getting taken this Tuesday. It's supposed to look like no one's lived there. And I got four little kids who destroy the house all the time. Uh, and so we're just running on fumes, me and my wife, trying to get everything that we need to get done. But yet the Lord says... He will lead us into green pastures so that we can lie down. A lot of us are probably going to go this Sunday afternoon and take a Sunday afternoon nap because it's tradition, right? And it feels good on a Sunday to just kind of relax. But the Lord talks about rest a lot. Even when we're uh, weary and tired, that we can come to Him. See, the same idea is present for the sheep. Sheep have multiple things that they can be worried about that often makes them in a state of anxiety. Worried about the flies that are around them. Worried about, uh, do I have water? Do I have food? Do I have predators? All these different things that can stimulate a sheep's mind and have them wander off or not be able to rest. And, and a sheep that is kind of hypersensitive to all these things and not taking the proper rest is not going to be a healthy sheep. And yet, the idea of understanding that he makes us lie down in green pastures. See, the shepherd alleviates some of those worries and, and from the sheep by taking care of them. What does it say in verse 1? That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He begins to lead them to a path, uh, a place of green pastures where they can rest, where they've been fed, where they've been watered, where they're free from predators because they are close to the shepherd. See, Jesus is the one that when we are closer to him, we can have better rest. I get this idea, I saw this picture, excuse me, of a guy driving down the road and he had a picture of his um, air freshener hanging from his rear view mirror and he snapped a photo that had the picture of that air freshener in a car a couple lanes over and it had the air freshener way larger than the car. And well, if you know anything about an air freshener, if it was larger than a car, it wouldn't be on the inside of your car, okay? We'd probably be driving those instead, right? But the air freshener is much smaller. But why was it bigger in the picture? Because of perspective, right? Perspective. The perspective sees that the car is a lot smaller and this air freshener is a lot bigger because of where he was at. His proximity was closer to that air freshener. So therefore, it was a lot larger to him than the car a few lanes ahead of him. It's the same way in our life. If our problems are in a close proximity to who we are, and we're closer to our problems than we are to God, no wonder we feel like God is so small and he can't handle these things. No wonder we struggle with the anxieties this world gives us because we're closer to the problems of life then we are the problem solver of life. And God wants us to find rest in him. It says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Then it says he leads me beside quiet waters. Just like humans, sheep are a high percentage of water. Sheep are 70%, humans are 60%. So water is essential to life for a sheep. I mean, we can go about three full days without water before our bodies start shutting down, and that's without any type of, of exercise or anything else like that. Thirst is an indication for the body to let us know that we need that water. And this translates so easily to our spiritual life as well. You know when you've gone through those rough patches of your spiritual walk and you're like, man, this is, this is bad. I feel so far away. It's because we're, we're living this dehydrated spiritual life because we haven't come to the living water and experienced what God has for us in his word. You know, we don't pick up God's word and so we, we like, we're dry, We're missing out on what he has. It's living, it's active, it speaks to us every day. And and God was, uh, he even describes himself as that living water in John chapter four where this woman comes to the well and and is saying, hey, I want to find this water that I don't have to ever come back and get water again. And Jesus was talking about himself and she finally realizes this later And it transforms her life in such a way that she goes and tells other people. See, when we experience living water, we're refreshed. You know, you've been on a hike before. You've just experienced this, you know, a couple weeks ago when we had those 70 plus degree days. 
There's nothing like a cool, refreshing glass of water. It restores us. It leads us, he leads us by still waters for the next part, which he restores my soul. All of this rest and water helps restore us as humans, but also spiritually when we're resting with God and drinking from his living water, we're restored spiritually as well. This phrase here is best coupled with uh, an idea of this sheep here, uh, of a, a cast down sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, sometimes they'll end up on their backs like a turtle with their legs sprawling all over the place and they can't get back on their legs. And so ultimately, if they stay in that position, they're gonna die. They're in this cast down position where one, if not found and not restored back to their feet, they're gonna be gone. And so it's an important for a shepherd to kind of be watching over his flock to see that and restore the sheep back to his feet. The same thing flips around for us spiritually as well. Why did Jesus probably go for that one? What if the, when it talks about the, sh the shepherd that left the 99 for the one, well, the one wandered away, maybe that sheep was cast down and he was going to lose it. He wanted to make sure that he could rescue that sheep. And Jesus does the same thing for us, that he wants to restore people into a clean relationship with him. Those who do not know him, to, to bring them to him, to set them right side up so that they can begin to walk with him. But also just as that prodigal son left, squandered everything that he had, and then when he came back, the father embraced him with open arms. That's the love that Jesus has. That's the love that he has for us. That's the restoring power that Jesus has for us. But a lot of us kind of have this idea that Jesus is going to, uh, is kind of like one of those uh, fathers that, that yells at their kids and gets on to them all the time. And we kind of get this image of who God might be and that he would do that to us, that he's always looking at opportunities to be able to strike us because of, uh, of, of who he is and how holy he is. But yet look at what he did to Peter after Peter denied him three times, Jesus gently restores him back. And God is waiting with open arms to restore us, to put us back into a position where we need to be upright and walking with him. When we're restored, then he can lead us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we understand that sheep like to wander around. They'll get lost, they'll chase a butterfly and fall off a cliff. They'll, you know, find something else to kind of distract them and there they go. But yet when we're following the leader, the leader who is carefully handling the sheep, he's gonna lead us to the place that we need to go for his name's sake. Jesus knows where his sheep are gonna thrive. This church is in a position of transition. God knows specifically about this group of sheep of where he wants you to go. You just have to be willing to follow the path that God has for you. 
You have to be willing to follow the leaders of this church at this point and say, okay, God has placed them in this spot for this time that you're going to follow their leading because God has positioned them to lead this flock and see what God is going to do. God's going to open up so many doors. He's going to lead you to a place where this church is going to thrive. Are you willing to follow what God has? See, here is a look of what it looks like to be led by Christ. First thing I I believe is that we love God and then we love others. Your love of God should be flourishing because he is leading you. And you should love others because of your overflowing love for God. You understand that he loves people, so you have to love people too. You also have to be willing to be different than the world, willing to stand out. And that comes at a cost today, to be different than the world, to speak and stand on truth. To be led by Christ means that you, instead of insisting on your own rights, you're willing to forego them in favor of others. That you're not selfish. You're willing to be last. To be led by Christ does not, it means that you do not play the victim, but you accept every circumstance in life with an attitude of gratitude. You say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And you understand it's God's way and no one else's. That's what it means to be led by Christ. That's what it means to to be led in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not so that you can make a name for yourselves. Not so that people can look at you and say, hey, look at this person and look what they've done. Look what they accomplished. But for the sake of who Jesus is in his name. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You know, the kids were talking about this and, and, and even memorizing this verse. And, you know, a lot of people are scared of death. We've seen that in our world over many years where people are afraid to die because death's a scary thing. It's difficult at times, to look a fear that you have in the eye face to face and try to overcome that. And here it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And when we think of of hiking, especially here in Alaska, man, there's so many great mountaintop experiences to be able to see this amazing view Even if you get on top of the Butte, which is a small hike comparative to many others, you're able to see so far. It's an amazing experience. But there's a lot of work to get to the mountaintop, right? You kind of have to go through the valley first. But if you've ever been sheep hunting or been way up high in the mountains you know that there's very, very limited water and not much food. But in the valley, that's where fruit grows. And sometimes we have to walk through the valley, even though it may be scary. 
you got to think about the, the key words here in this verse. Even though I walk through. It's a promise that you're going to walk through this. Even if it does end in death, as a believer, we know that we can walk straight through death right into the arms of Jesus. Because once we close our eyes here on earth and take our last breath here on earth, our next eye opening and breath is going to be right in the presence of God. So even though I walk through the shadow of, of death, I will fear no evil. Because why? Because he is with us. He's walking through the valley with us every single time. See, we must take the dark valleys in life as opportunities to be able to use our experience to share with other people, to encourage them. John 16, says, In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Bible's clear. We're going to have troubles, and we're going to continue to have troubles until we enter into heaven with him. But he has overcome the world, so we have the victor on our side. We have someone who is there beside us that's going to walk through those situations. Remember that your life, the things that you have gone through, can be used to point back to Christ, but also lead others to him. Then it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, shepherds, they use this thing called a knob carry, which is uh, kind of a, a little stick that they can hold in their hand that's made out of a root, and they use this for a couple of different things. The main thing that it's used for is, is a weapon of defense. So it's to ward off those predators. It's to protect the sheep and the shepherd from those dangerous animals that might be out there. So it's a, a, a method of protection. So when you think of the rod, it's a, it's a weapon. But it's also used for discipline. And sometimes discipline is important. And you got to remember that discipline is not discipline unless it's painful. It reminds me of, uh, of under, you know, just with my own kids that I have to make sure that if I'm training them up in the way that they should go, that I should not spare the rod. It's, it's a part of discipline. It's part of what the scripture calls us as parents to do to train our children in the way that they should go. It's the same thing with the sheep by the shepherd. And so God does this in our life. But also the shepherd uses this to examine the sheep. So since their wool is so thick, it's hard to just pry it open with your hands. He does it with this knob carry and checks to see if there's any type of infection on their skin or other things that are going on. So it's an examination tool. And I love what it says in Psalms 139, 23, and 24. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. What a prayer that we should be praying over our life every day. God, Lord, is there anything in my life that's offensive to you? Is there anything that is not good for our relationship so that I can clean that up, so that I can get fixed, so that I can make sure that I am well, that our relationship is good. But then the staff is used for long-suffering and kindness. It draws that, uh, that sheep into the shepherd. It brings them back into the group for relationships. It brings them to community. 
You can imagine a, a shepherd who, who takes that, that staff, the one that you imagine most shepherds holding that looks kind of like the candy cane with the hook there at the end, and just being able to bring a sheep in and then bring it in and begin to start petting it and how close of a relationship that shepherd has with the sheep. Jesus desires that same type of embrace with us, that he wants to wrap us up in his loving arms and hold on to us and let us know that, hey, I'm here to comfort you. When we have those things that are going on in our life, that we can run to him, that he's going to embrace us and hold on to us. Then it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in the Western United States, there's a lot of many high plateaus, which are called mesas, which is actually a Spanish word for tables. And it seems kind of odd that a shepherd would lead his sheep into a position where the enemies are going to see their every move. You know, if uh, you're playing a, a sports uh, game like football, you don't want the enemy to ha- or the other team to have your playbook because then they know every move. But now with technology and video cameras and all this other stuff, they pretty much have all the scouting reports that, that you could think of. But here, it's like, okay, why are we walking right in front of an area that my enemies are looking down on me, that they're looking at me, they're figuring out all my moves, now I'm in a vulnerable spot. And now my shepherd is going to prepare a table for me to eat in their presence? But here's what we know, that the shepherd is right there with them. The shepherd doesn't leave them out there at the table where the enemies can devour them. No, he's there. He's protecting them. He intercedes for us. He's watching over us. And you know, it's a bold move for the enemy to know, their, see their competition right before them, that they're exposed, but yet these sheep are at peace. They're well taken care of because of the shepherd who's there. See, the Lord Though he prepares that table before the enemies, we have to understand that the enemy's defeated. The enemy can do no harm to us, that the Lord is there taking care of us. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. See, oil was used as a preventative covering over the sheep. So it was something to protect them from the flies and the gnats and other things that could uh, harm them and and, uh, bug them. And it's the same thing for us. The Holy Spirit is that covering over us. That he's protecting us. And we want the Holy Spirit inside of us to overflow a continual outpouring of who the Holy Spirit is because our minds are a powerful thing and that's something that needs to be protected. But the last verse here says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How many of us can honestly say we feel that way, that goodness and mercy, no matter what happens in my life, has been following me, that it's been there with me all the time? We have to understand what Romans 8:28 says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So no matter what happens in our life, if we love God and we're called according to his purpose, the Lord will work it out for his good, for his glory. Remember, it's not about us, it's for his name's sake. And if we're receiving that mercy from God, are we showing that to other people? It says, I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. It starts with knowing that the Lord is our shepherd, that we shall not want, that he's going to take care of us, he's going to provide for us, and it ends with a victory chant, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have victory. You read the end of the book, we won. Yet so many times churches all across this nation live in defeat. Be a church that lives in the victory that God has given you and know that he is there watching out for you. This morning, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know the different things that have taken place even over this past week. But Psalms 23 is true. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he is your shepherd. He is the one that's watching over you, taking care of you, and wants to lead you into a place of rest and restoration. And he wants you to understand that the victory is his. And that you can flaunt that in front of the enemy and hold that true to the grave that no matter what, the Lord wins. So maybe this morning... You need to come and just to ask God for that rest, that restoration, that living water to be poured out in your life. Or maybe you need to come and ask God to actually save you and to be a part of his flock. Whatever that is, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask if they would come and lead worship here and and we're going to have a time of response. But you have to make that choice. No one else can. Church membership doesn't matter. It's it's an honest choice from your heart to God to say, Lord, I want you to lead my life. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.